Hi, welcome to True Creeps, where the stories are true and the creeps are real. We'll cover stories from grotesque gore to the possibly plausible paranormal, to horrifying history, to tense and terrible true crime, and everything else that goes bump in the night. We're your hosts, Amanda, and I'm Lindsay, and we want you to join us while we creep. We cover mature topics. Listener discretion is advised. Hello, everyone. Today, we are going to cover sort of a cryptid. It's a cryptid. It's a cryptid. Okay, it's a cryptid. Can I tell you my logic? (laughs) Absolutely. Let's open with it. Go ahead. Ben has cryptid arm tattoos, and it is on his arms. Therefore, it is a cryptid. Okay. That is my defining thing. If it exists on there, then it has to be a cryptid. Okay. But does he have the square yet? The best one. That should be (laughs) our next tattoo is the square. Maybe we could do (gasps) some soon. Mm. Mm. Hint, hint. Okay. So, (laughs) (laughs) but what's today's episode? (laughs) (laughs) Back to this. Tangent one. 48 seconds in. Keeping it an episode proper, though. Oh, we are. We so Mm -hmm. are. Okay. So this particular creature or creatures does come up on a lot of cryptid lists, but it does seem slightly different than the typical cryptids that we've talked about before. And you'll figure out why. We'll tell you why, too. (laughs) We we will also tell you why, sort of. Yeah. (laughs) Sure. We know how to podcast. We're podcasters. This is our second episode today. We're we're delirious. Okay. I love that like our longest running joke is that we're not very good at this. When like I think that we are okay. Like, you know, we're doing fine. So, Lindsay, have you ever thought about where the idea of little green men came from? No, Amanda, I haven't thought of where that comes from because you know aliens terrify me. And that's typically what little green men are. That is true. I was a little nervous when I selected this cryptid off of our big list of cryptids to cover today because I was afraid for you sleeping. Yeah. But then I got into it. I was like, well, I think she'll be okay. No. And also, like, they're just so cute. It's ridiculous. If this is what aliens are, like, okay, man. (laughs) Little scamps, honestly. Are they not? They are. I thought they were adorable. Little scamps. So little green men may have come from this encounter that we're going to cover today. And the story has been called many different names, including the Hopkinsville Goblins, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. the Kelly Green Men, the Kelly Hopkinsville Encounter. That's a mouthful. Yeah, that's hard to say. Like, that last one is a mouthful. The Kelly Hopkinsville Encounter. Like, it's just way too much. Hopkinsville is just wrong in my head. Yes. Yes. Agreed. Also, like, it, it's not as like exciting as the last one it sounds like um like an off-brand romance novel name (laughs) yeah okay like a bad one that someone like hand wrote and sent into a publisher and was like will you publish this and they were like no we're not gonna publish this (laughs) (laughs) so the account of these creepy little things is from a large family that are called the suttons and also their friends that were there that night The Suttons had a farm in a tiny rural area of Kelly, Kentucky, and the story takes place in Kelly, but they reported the incident in Hopkinsville. So that's where both these names have come from. Amanda. Yes. Before we get into this, I need you to know. Okay. We're talking about like people and then their friends are at their house, right? Yes. I am going to be, as we go, comparing this to be if it was you and I and then you and your husband and Ollie. because. There's points in the story where, like, 
the men are doing something and the women are doing something. And I just want to like bring that back to what would be happening today. Like if this was you and I, like how this would be happening, because to me, that's the most wild part of all of this is like the difference in like understanding what's going on and when. Do you know what I mean? I think that's fair. Yeah. So I just I want to just put a pin in that, but just know that that's what's to come here. Oh, great. I can't wait, <laughs> I can't wait for this. Ride. It'll make sense when it makes sense to everyone who doesn't have an outline in front of them, which is everyone other than Amanda and I. Okay. Podcasting. Podcasting. 101. Second episode of the day. Lots of tangents all over the place. So to give you a picture of this area, Hopkinsville had a population of, of around 26,000 at the time. And Kelly was a very, very small community of only 150 people. And they all lived in like scattered farmhouses. So it wasn't like where you'd have like houses right next to each other. They were very much scattered because they had their fields and everything between them. So the Suttons lived in a very small three-bedroom house. And it didn't have things like running water, a phone, or things like TVs, radios, that sort of thing. It was very, very bare bones. And there are some photos and drawings of like the layout of the farmhouse that are available. And it's incredibly small. And especially for how many people were there the night of the incident, it's so tiny. Okay, it's in a book, so we can't put it on our Instagram. But are you going to explain how this room is laid out? I think you should because you're great at this. You know that's where I was headed. You know that's where we were going. Okay. Are you ready for me to describe this house to you? I am so ready. Okay. The bottom of the house was like 40 feet tops wide. Most of that was two rooms and a thick ass hallway. Perfect. There was four beds, a couch, and a table. Perfect explanation. She she got it. So in that really, really tiny house, there were eight adults and three children present on the night of the event we'll be talking about. Mm-hmm. And let's do a quick rundown of who was there. Real quick. I love the fucking names. The cast here, perfect. Perfect. Love it. All right. The first one, Glennie Linkford, and she was 50 years old, and she was a widow of her second husband. And then her son, Elmer, but he went by Lucky Sutton. He was 25 years old, and she had Lucky with her first husband. He definitely introduced himself by, my name's Elmer, call me Lucky. Like, he did that. He had to. From the accounts of him, I guess he had Lucky on his knuckles, I believe, tattooed. I love that. He's the original, like, manifesting girly. I love it. Yes. And then his wife, her name was Vera Sutton. I love the name Vera. Every, like, old book always has a Vera in it, and I love it. My sister-in-law's mother's name is Vera. Really? I like it. She was 29, and like I said, she was Lucky's wife. Then there was John Charlie, or J.C. Sutton. He was 21 years old, and he was also Glennie's son with her first husband. There's Aline Sutton, and she was 27, and that's J.C.'s wife. And then Glennie also had some younger kids that she had with her second husband, and their names were Lonnie, who was 12, Charlton, that was 10, and Mary, who was 7. There was Billy Ray Taylor. He's 21, and he was a friend of Lucky's. And then his wife, her name was June Taylor, and she was 18. And then lastly, we had O.P. Baker, and he was 30 or 35. I've seen different sources say different ages. And he was the brother of Aline. So he was like the brother-in-law of the family. A lot of people that were there that night. Okay, so a few guests, but the people who lived there were Glennie, JC, Aileen, and the three children. The rest were visitors. So that's the Taylors, Lucky, and Vera. They've been visiting because they were actually staying there for a bit because they were part of a traveling carnival. Interesting. 
Yeah, I love what what a story. So our cast of characters, all of these folks saw the creatures except for one. And that was one of the women. And although it's never overtly said who was too scared to look, investigators who sifted through reports have kind of deduced that it was probably June. And as a reminder, June was the wife of Lucky's friend, Billy. Yes. Okay. So many of the family members did interviews later about what had happened, and that included speaking with UFOlogists. That's a, what a mouth word thing to say. Isabel Davis. And then Davis's extensive report, which was co-written by Ted Bloucher, was published by the Center for UFO Studies in 1978. And she actually visited Hopkinsville in June of 1956 from the 12th to the 15th. And she coordinated with a lot of other people to make a really thorough report. And some of the information we have is from that report. It's very interesting and it's available on Amazon. Amanda, famous rock star, gorgeous goddess, read this entire book uh, <laughs> intensely and went through all of it. And so we have a good bit of information from that. Some of the accounts were also reported in the Project Blue Book case file, which became available in 1975. And that's the government's documentation relating to investigations of UFOs, also unidentified flying objects. Some of the reports were included in Isabel Davis's report and other parts of it are available on the FBI website. We love sifting through things like that. <laughs> it's wild. You know, that's our favorite. But anywho, let's talk about what we're here to talk about today. The encounter. The encounter. Encounter. Did you try, that was my um handwritten romance novel voice. Oh, okay. Okay. In case Perfect. you couldn't pick up on it. The encounter that we're going to talk about happened on August 21st of 1955. So around 7 p.m., Billy Ray was getting some water from the backyard when he saw a flying saucer. He described this silvery object as, quote, real bright with an exhaust all the colors of the rainbow. He said that it had came silently towards the house from southwest about 30 or 40 feet overhead, just like real quick. If somebody was like, how far was it? Could you ever tell them in feet? Nope. I would be like, mm, like, I don't know, 18, 12 year old boys. Like, I mean, that <laughs> I, I could like say, but feet, what am I? What am I? Yeah, I absolutely did though, didn't I? Or yeah. I had a little coy smile on my face. Like, well, I was like, I'm gonna do a 12 year old boy joke. And that sounded so, again, what's with me today? <laughs> okay. But so Billy Ray, able to see in things and feet, he sees this thing flying at him 30, 40 feet overhead coming from the southwest. And it continues down the fields on a horizontal course. So it's just, you know, going sideways and starts to slow down. It then comes to a stop and then drops straight to the ground. And he thinks that it may have landed in a 40 foot gully at the end of the fields because he couldn't see it anymore. So it was like below what ground level looked like to him. Right, right. So, of course, you know, instead of investigating, he runs back into the home and he tells the family about it. He's like, guess what I just saw? And all of them are like, OK, right? Like they they laugh at it. They just think that he's being silly. Some of them said, well, maybe you just saw a shooting star. And he's like, no, 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 no. This is much different. They all discussed it for a few minutes, but they never actually considered him being truthful. So no one went to investigate what he may have seen. I love that for them. Yeah. No worries. And from what I understand, some of the sources that talk about Billy Ray are like, the family did not take him seriously most of the time. Like, if he said something, they wouldn't really listen. Oh. Is it because he was a jokester or they were mean? I think he was just a little overzealous sometimes. Oh, okay. Okay. Like, he exaggerated things. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So they're like, okay, cool. So about a half hour later, around 8 p.m., 
the family dog starts barking at something. And that's odd, especially like if you live out in the middle of nowhere, right? Your dog's going to be telling you, perhaps there's an animal going after your livestock. You know, something's happening. Yeah. So they immediately respond to this dog. So Lucky and Billy Ray run outside to investigate and they run out the back door. They then see the dog put his tail between his legs and run under the house. Uh Uh-oh. And from this point forward, we do not see the dog again until the next day. Smart guy. So, of course, they're like, what the hell's happening? They look over and they see a small, strange glow. And it looks like a small humanoid creature chilling out there. And as one does, these descriptions are great. So I'm going to describe it to you. 10 out of fucking 10. We also have drawings that we're going to talk about later. So they described it as being around three and a half feet tall with an oversized head, almost perfectly round. Its arms extended almost to the ground. So like really long arms. Its hands, of course, had talons. And its oversized eyes glowed with a yellowish light. Other descriptions, I kind of put all of them together because there's a lot depending on, you know, who and when they spoke with them. Other descriptions included having big ears. And the hands were also very large with the talons. The women would later describe the ears as being extended and somewhat outwards, while the men said that they were closer to the head. Either way, though, both sides said that they were large, floppy, and wrinkled, and then at the end of the ear, it came to a point. What I love is that both of these, if described today, would be Furby ears. It's just whether it was the old generation or the new generation of Furbies. (laughs) Yes, that's how we'll, we'll discuss everything now in terms of Furby. What do they kind of do look like for every years, though? They, they do. They do. Minus the hair. My, yeah, no hair. Also, another fun fact. They seem to float rather than walk at points. Okay. Also, they had no hair, like we just discussed, and no smell. Now, sometimes when people say they were around a cryptid, they, they smell like a strange, pungent odor. And at this point, nothing. I know that what you're saying is that there isn't an odor that's just present so that they're noting that. But what I imagine is that like someone's walking up to them and sniffing them. <laughs> when reading that fact, what I imagined was someone like walking up, staring them down and going really deeply. <laughs> well, I don't think that happened. But yeah, no, 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 I also don't think that happened. But I would like to see it because they're short. So you would you'd have to like get on all Bend fours over. to do that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So the body of the creature also gave off a weird shimmer in the moonlight. And they said, quote, as if it was made of silver metal. Okay. It had the same color all over except for the eyes. And in the dark, it had a luminescent glow. In the light, though, it looked like it was a dull metallic sort of color. And the witnesses believed that it was like its skin or, you know, whatever it was made out of. And that's what they were looking at. Not like it was wearing a suit of any kind. So it was like all one color, its whole body, except for the eyes, not a suit. Lastly, it had what looked like a mouth, but it never opened or made any noise. Okay. Okay. So just quickly to recap, Lucky and Ray went out back to like see what the dog was barking at. And this is what they see. Yes. Okay, so not surprisingly, they were scared. And part of the reason for this was because the creature started moving towards the back door. And the way that they described it was that as it was walking towards them, like it had to, it had its hands up, like it was about to get robbed. And I understand like that this cultural reference that I'm going to say is not like it wasn't 
present at that time but i feel like whatever this creature was it was like no beef no beef like try (laughs) no beef (laughs) yeah that's what it was trying to like convey hands up in the air in that way is a very universal symbol for i'm no threat yeah right like my hands are up here you can see what my hands are doing but like if you don't know what this creature is you don't know how many hands it has or what it does to attack people nonetheless my point is just that like that's a no beef universal symbol Lucky and Billy Ray both grabbed guns, and they grabbed a 20-gauge shotgun and a 22 rifle. When the creature was about 20 feet from the back door, they began to fire. Then the creature somersaulted backwards and, quote, did a flip. Then it scrambled upright and fled into the darkness at the side of the house. Fair? You shot at it after it went no beef? The flip? I love it. I love it so much. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So after they went back into the house, they saw another one of the creatures outside of the side window. So they shoot at it again through the window screen, and it does the same thing as the other one, flipped backwards and disappeared. The men then went outside to see if they'd actually hit the creature. And as they were standing at the front door, Billy Ray went first, and then Lucky followed him. And Billy Ray was standing under a small overhanging roof where he was about to step into the yard. Now, Lucky and Aileen were right behind him. Glenny also may have been there, but either way, as Billy Ray went to step down, the group of people who were there saw a claw-like hand reach down and touch his hair. (laughs) In my, like, let's be honest, it stroked his hair. It's like such a little pet. Yeah. And (laughs) so like, again, not surprisingly, everyone screams, right? Aileen grabs Billy Ray and pulls him back into the house. Then Lucky, who had been right behind Billy Ray, pushed past him to shoot the gun at the creature on the overhang. He fired it and it knocked the creature, quote, over the roof. As this was happening, Billy Ray yelled that there was another one in the maple tree and it was sitting on a limb. Billy Ray and Lucky shot at it and knocked it off the limb and it floated to the ground. They then shot it again and it disappeared into the weeds. I love these creatures. What little scamps, though? Are they not? Mischief. They're just it out, right? They're curious. They've got kitten energy. They do. So another one appeared right in front of Lucky, although it may have been the same one from the roof again. It's been debated on like how many creatures there actually were that night, because when they would run off, they would do so in what they said, extremely rapid movements. And so with that being said, it's impossible to know if one was like reappearing because it was so quick or if there were many of them. This is also where the story varies a little or because, you know, it was a scary experience. Maybe it's a little hard to remember exactly what was seen, but two may have been seen at the same time. However, Glennie remembers only seeing one at a time. So it's like some are like, yeah, we saw two at a time. Some are like, no, technically it was just one at a time. But either way, the appearances happened so very quickly. Some media, though, that covered this event later said that there were 10 to 15 of the creatures, but the family never said that. So, like, they were just blowing it out of proportion. Yeah, fair. But anyways, let's get back. So, one appears right in front of Lucky. He shoots the creature almost at point-blank range. Hmm. And when he does, it sounds as if he hit a metal bucket. The creature, again, we know, flipped and then ran off into the darkness. It seemed to be unharmed, even at point blank rage, because like he was able to see it this time. Like I shot at it, but like nothing happened. Now, I also want to discuss its way of running because I thought this was just funny. I even sent when I was reading the book, Lindsay, a picture of this page because I was like, I need you to explain this because it sounds so silly. 
but they were described as having legs that were inflexible. And one of the accounts says they were, quote, as spindly as broom handles. When also, like, when you're saying legs that are immovable, I think no knee. part of that is that there's not knees. Yeah. And so, like, if you don't see a joint, you're like, okay, how does that work? Right, right. And this may have only been used for balance is what they thought, because they, like, moved in unison when they'd run. <laughs> and then when they'd run, they'd lower their hands to the ground. And the arms seemed to, quote, furnish most of the propulsion. So, like, it seems like their legs were just like little, I don't know, stick things. And then, like, their arms were doing all the work. And another thing is no one ever noticed them having feet. So later when they were like, can you describe it? We want to, like, figure this out. No one could remember what their feet look like. So (laughs) I wanted to be like, Lindsay, please show me how they ran. Because sometimes she'll show me, like, ridiculous movements. And I was really excited. My brain has a hard time putting these, like, facts together because it doesn't make sense. Right. (laughs) I reread this page, like, four times trying to figure out how they were running because it's just so weird. Do you know what it makes me think of? As you're describing them, it does make me think that, like, gravity is not applying in the same way to them and that you would need to use your arms in order to flip in a zero gravity situation, especially if you didn't have knees. Yeah, maybe that. It's bizarre. It's just so bizarre. That's all I can think of because its hips move when it runs, which means it's just jumping. Like if they're moving at the same time, that's jumps. Like stilts. Well, stilts, like the legs move independently. But the only other creature that I can think of where it's like bipedal-ish, these aren't pedal at all, but mermaids, when you think of how they would swim, would be like wiggling the core, right? Like core in, core out, core in, core out. And that anti-gravity thing, it always looks like the person's kind of swimming. See what I'm saying? Yeah, like some of the accounts that I was I was really like, how do these things run if their legs move in unison? Yeah, I don't know. Right? And they're like little sticks. I was like, maybe they're like, think of like when you're on crutches and if you're using two crutches to like propel yourself forward. That's mm-hmm. what I was getting. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Okay. Very strange. But I love that they were like super duper fast. And then just another fun detail that we found around this time is that... They illuminated more when they were shot at or when they were yelled at. Kind of like the noise level affected their glowing. They're like, dislike. My energy will show you these ethereal little beings. Right? I I love them. They're so cute. I know. Look, I'm having a hard time not siding with these creatures over people that are shooting them because they're just like, what's up? No beef. And and the people are like, only beef. Right? (laughs) Well, isn't that people? Only beef and guns. I know. You're right. (laughs) You're right. But like, still though. But anyway, so this duration I I don't like because I would probably be like, this is way too long for this to be happening. But we're getting into where we're going to compare what we would be like in this similar circumstance in a moment. So for around three hours, these creatures surrounded the farmhouse. And we mentioned, right, that the two men saw the creatures and shot them first. Gunshots aren't quiet. No. no. And they're also, at one point, they are in the house and shoot out of a screen and are otherwise just like right outside the door. So it's very close. And I'm not going to assume that they're doing, that they're like people who are making sense with guns. Maybe that's something they normally do. But like, to me, that seems like it would be unusual behavior. And you might be like, why are we shooting guns in the house? But- The women who were on the inside were like, they're just shooting for fun. And that they were just making up what they had seen. And like the women were busy doing chores and they were putting the kids to bed. And it's like, what are these idiot guys doing? Weren't they scared? 
Well, like, also, like, how scared? I mean, they seem from, like, these accounts, they were, like, pretty terrified of, like, what the fuck was going on. So it's interesting that they're like, men will be men. Always, always hysterical and scared about something. Like, like they're completely <laughs> brushing off their fear. Like, you're fine. Like, you could tell they're fucking over them. They're like, oh, you're having a bad night? I'm taking care of the kids and you're out shooting guns with your friend. Fuck off. Right? Like, that's the vibe I'm getting. But so... Amanda, this is you and I, right? There are creatures. I know my house better, so I'm going to say my house. And also, like, we have grass and a trees. And a trees? There's no, there's only dirt in Arizona and a trees, several trees. I don't know. I can picture it outside of my house. I can't picture these creatures wanting to go to Arizona. No one does. So I can't picture anything wanting to go to Arizona. So, okay, we're in my house. First off, who were the two people who were going to see these creatures first? Is it you and I? Or is it Ben and Mike? Us. It's us. They wouldn't even notice. The creature could walk up to them and they'd have no idea. They would be in the basement taking apart a computer. They wouldn't even be near <laughs> their windows. Their headlamps on. Their headlamps on. Or they'd be at the dining room table with their headlamps on, building a computer, completely unaware of what's happening. Where's the kid? Who could know? Right? And you and I are like outside, like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> and we're like screaming, freaking out. And they're like, they're fine. We want to build our computer. <laughs> Can't you like, but can't you picture this? If Ben came into the house and was like, oh my fucking God, there's a fucking goblin. I would probably have a big reaction. Well, I think it's just they thought that Billy Ray was joking at the start of it. And then Lucky's his friend, right? Lucky and Billy Ray. So they're like, he's in on it. They're like, they're just being silly. Okay. But with guns? It's probably an animal or something. Yeah, but funny. I digress. But I do think that you and I would be the ones to discover these creatures. Oh, yeah, for sure. And we would not shoot at them. Have Ollie with us and like trying to get him to bed. And then there's creatures. And yeah, the two would be like, CPU. Yeah. And you and I, meanwhile, would be like, what snacks does our new pet want? Yeah. We're like, can it use a litter box? And it would be inside the house. It'd be like, no beef. And we'd be like, of course, no beef, baby. Come on in. Come on. And we'd be like, can we pet you? You're ethereal. You're stunning. We love this color on you. Do you want Oreos? Do you like those? No. Let's not do chocolate. Let's let's see. Like, do you want a carrot? Do you like that? We're like, do you have teeth? Will you bite? I'm still going to try to feed you. And pet you. Are you my baby? <laughs> it already has a collar on with like a dick tag. But anyway, we're not talking about you and I and our Hopkinsville goblins. We're talking about their Hopkinsville goblins. So back to our story. Glennie believes that around 10 p.m. is when she started to get more curious about what was happening. So a couple hours in, she's like, maybe there's things outside. And she went into the hallway and crouched down next to Billy and asked for more details about what he had seen. So where they were crouched was about three feet from the screen door, which was at the front of the house. And they were there for about 20 minutes. And then the creature walks up to the screen. (laughs) It's like, hey. The scream. The scream and or the baby. (laughs) Right then. So she described the creature as, it looked like a five-gallon gasoline can with a head on top and small legs. It was a shimmering bright metal like on my refrigerator. Glennie tried to get up from the crouch position, but she was super stiff and she fell down, which like fair. She was like crouched, like squatting for like 20 minutes. And then when she fell, she shrieked. But like she also made a thudding sound. Right. So the combination of those sounds like scared the creature. So it scampered off. And as it did, 
again, Billy shot at it. So from there, it jumps onto the roof where that overhang, that overhang spot that we had talked about earlier. And this story precedes when Billy Ray had walked outside earlier. Remember with the little stroke of the hair? Because the reason why he went outside earlier was to see if he had gotten it. And so it had jumped on the roof in the meantime. And it's interesting that that's kind of like the order of events that is how it's described. But like that's how Glenny shares her story and interaction with him. Right. That's how she sees it. And that's why we're confused if she saw the hair situation or because she fell, she like, you know, was too far behind to herself. see it. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. So after this ordeal, so everything we've talked about already, the men came inside and they just wanted to chat about like what to do next. Their bullets weren't doing anything to these creatures. They continually kept coming up. And that's where all of them were kind of discussing like, okay, what is happening? And here are some of the observations that they made. They noticed that they seemed to come from and retreat into the darkness. And they considered that maybe the creatures didn't like light. And they weren't sure if that was the case, but they thought, okay, let's just keep the lights on by the front and the back door just in case. And then we're going to talk about it later, but I, I know we've brought up the sketches already. But when looking at the sketches, a lot of people speculate that with those large eyes that they had, they didn't have pupils, or at least that they were never mentioned. Or eyelids, for that matter. And because of that, they weren't able to deal with the changes with light, right? So like coming from the dark into the light, like their eyes couldn't adjust well. Yeah. So at one point, they're all sitting there and they hear scratching on the kitchen roof. Uh Uh-oh. And so they go outside and they saw a creature moving up the roof. So, of course, because we know they love to shoot, they shot at it again. This time they knocked it off the roof. But instead of falling, it floated to the back fence about 40 feet away and it just perched there it's just chilling these are cartoons seriously right so they shoot at it again and it just scurries into the weeds this time on all fours Hmm. throughout the night though glennie tried to be a voice of reason and she's like i want everyone to just stay inside the creatures are here they're not doing us any harm they don't seem to try to be like actually coming in they keep coming to like the doorways and stuff but If we leave them alone, maybe they'll leave us alone. And I think at one point she's like, let's just turn out the lights and go to bed. (laughs) Like, I'm done with this. Glenny, killing it. I know. She's just like, eh, that's fine. Get over yourselves. What, you've never seen an alien before? Get over yourself. You're dramatic. (laughs) Ask the ice. Still, the chaos ensued and everyone was just scared and freaking out about it, right? And by this time, the kids were even out of bed and they were freaked out. And... Apparently, one of them was outside or, like, was watching outside during one of the altercations. So they had seen it, too. And they were just very, very scared. I wonder if they would have been scared if the adults weren't scared. I don't know. That's a good question. So at 11 p.m., the group fled the home in two vehicles. And they drove as fast as they could to the Hopkinsville police station. One of the kids was so scared that they had to be carried to the car screaming, which breaks my heart because, like, they're, you know, they're picking up on their parents' fear and there's a lot of adults. So, like, a lot of adults being scared cues a kid that they should be scared, too. So a common thing that was said by skeptics and investigators from that night is that the family was genuinely terrified and that they weren't the kind of family who would just go to the police for anything. They were only going to ask for help if it was absolutely necessary. And I think that that does give it a little bit more credibility that, that they weren't people who were just like, there's something weird and like seeing something strange on their farm every other weekend. Like exactly. this was weird for them. Mm-hmm. 
And so one investigator even said that Billy was pale and that his heart rate was 140 beats per minute. So he was freaked the fuck out. Yeah. So both city and county police, military police from Fort Campbell and the Hopkinsville newspaper photographer, as well as other investigators, drove to the farmhouse to see what was going on. One of the police officers called Chief Russell Greenwell, who was at home and said, a spaceship has landed at Kelly. And not surprisingly, the chief was like, "Okay, this is a joke. But then the officer started explaining the situation. So the chief raced to the farmhouse. One of the state officers also reported that a restaurant called Shady Oaks, which was two to three miles from Hopkinsville in the direction of Kelly, had seen and heard meteors passing overhead. And unfortunately, there's no time associated with what the, when that may have happened. So it kind of makes it harder to corroborate. But they did say that it made a noise like artillery fire or whining. And he said he looked out of his car in time to see two of them. He also mentioned that their trajectory was in the general direction of the farm. So when you're looking at his statements, the officers, like what he's attributed to having said, changes. But apparently he may have said that they weren't ordinary meteors and that they were much brighter and making noise. Then later, he said they were just playing meteors and nothing else. I wonder why. You know, like, was he just so scared he didn't want to, like, deal with it anymore? (laughs) Or yeah, maybe because what happens to the family next, he didn't want to be a part of it. But all the investigators, you know, go to the farmhouse. They search the home, the yard, a little bit of the fields, but not too much because remember, it's still middle of the night. But they didn't really find evidence of the creatures, just a lot of shell casings from the guns. An important note, too, is that the Suttons and the witnesses to the creatures were not in the home at the time of the search. So like investigators and everyone went in and they waited until like the all clear. Mm -hmm. Another interesting thing about what may have been seen that night is some investigators say that there's a small, quote, luminous patch in the grass, and it was about one and a half feet in diameter. They say that it was around where the family said that the creature was knocked off the fence. The patch, though, was only visible from one angle. And then when they like went up to investigate it closer, they didn't see anything unusual. Hmm. So that's that's a little weird. Yeah. A common thing that was mentioned from the investigators is that the atmosphere that night was very, very tense. And like everyone there had a very weird or like unsettling feeling. And I guess at one point, one of the investigators accidentally stepped on a cat's tail. And of course, it like screamed. And Greenwell said, quote, you never saw so many pistols unholstered so fast in your life. So like everyone was on edge. Yeah, I mean, but fair. Yeah. And you know what that says, though, is that even though if they were skeptics to the situation, The family was believable, you know, like how scared they were and what they were telling them. If they thought it was a joke, I don't think that they'd be on, you know, level nine while investigating. Yeah, they wouldn't be describing it as tense. They'd be like, oh, show me where you saw the little things, you know, like they'd be making fun of them. It wouldn't be like, exactly. Oh, no. (laughs) And I guess at this point, too, there's some talk of like, oh, well, the holes in the screen don't match up with what they're saying. So a lot of people like focus a lot on that. We'll talk about that more in a bit. but. Some of the investigators suspected that maybe heavy drinking led to this. But Glennie, like, shot them down right away. She's like, liquor is not allowed in this farmhouse. And it's, like, all of three feet. So, like, you would know that people were drinking. Right. Exactly. You would know. And there would be some evidence of that. And you'd smell it on them. You would. So they left. The investigators left around 2 a.m. And the family went back inside by about 2.15. Investigators promised that they were going to return in the morning when there was light. So, you know, it would be easier and safer to look around. The family, still scared, was like, all right, we just got to get to bed. I didn't see anything. They're gone. So they try to go to bed. 
So investigators are gone. And about a half hour later, the creatures returned. Now, in Glennie's account, which was published in the Project Blue Book case file, she said around 3.30 a.m., she was in her bedroom and looked out the north window. And it was then that she saw a small silver shining object that was like two and a half feet tall. And it was like its little hands were on the screen looking in. Don't like that. Voyeur in a Mothman way. Right? That's what I was saying. I was like, I think it reminds me of Mothman just spying on people. And she called for her family quietly to come see. And like, can I just tell you, I am, it's 3.30 in the morning. I've had this encounter. I look out the window, see this. There is nothing quiet about how I'm going to let everyone else know that I'm seeing this. But anyway, also keep in mind, just like the four beds and where they exist is within like a very small area so she could quietly say something and they would hear it well that and she didn't want to scare everyone she wasn't really scared she was more like what are these yes please don't shoot at them anymore don't scare the children yeah i mean she's like handling it like honestly a goddamn pro she's like we're gonna see weird stuff in our life let's just go for it you know right but anyway lucky jumped up and raised his gun and glenny told him not to shoot but he did anyway which I'd be like, fuck, I would be like, I am your mother. This is my house, you know? But, like, it does give Mothman vibes when we're talking about cryptids looking into windows. So when Glennie spoke with Isabel, she gave a little bit more information about that evening. And she said that her bedroom was in the living room, which means that her bed was in the larger room, and said that it came to the window beside the fireplace. Per Glennie, I turned my head three times because I thought maybe my eyes were just were fooling me. But every time I turned my head back, he was there. And as Amanda mentioned, and it's worth noting again, was that Glennie was chill. Like she was not having big feelings about these creatures being there and was pretty against the chaos that was happening. She was like, yeah, let's just figure out like what's going on. And when she was talking about how the creatures approached, she noted that they always approached slowly and that their arms were up almost like they were trying to be reassuring and trying to communicate, which again, what did I say? No Arms beef. up. Universal sign for no beef. no beef. So she had mentioned that she didn't think they meant harm and they just wanted everyone to go about their night and ignore them unless something different happened, which I feel like I couldn't ignore them, but I don't think my first inclination would be to harm them. Right. Agreed. So like the creatures were about and they could see them until about a half hour before sunrise, which was at 515 in the morning. I just keep thinking like they didn't like light, right? So they disappeared as the sun started coming up. Makes sense. Well, the following day, the police and other investigators returned to search for evidence. And they looked for things like evidence of the saucer landing, footprints, blood trails, in case they actually did shoot them. Even though they said the shots did nothing to them, they checked for it. And lastly, they checked for scratch marks on the roof. Because if a creature had been up there, remember, they're in the middle of nowhere. Like the roof is dusty. Perhaps they would have left some sort of mark. They didn't investigate very well. They kind of wrote them off. Mm -hmm. So unfortunately, they found nothing. However, when they investigated where the saucer may have landed, they noted that the ground was so hard that even when they like stomped, there were no impressions left from their shoes. So they're like, it wouldn't be easy to make a footprint. So we can't really like hold it against them for not having footprints, especially over here. I mean, and that makes sense. So Bud Ledwith who is a local radio station employee, interviewed all of the adult eyewitnesses and made drawings based off of their accounts. And he just did this because like, this was like 
a hobby, if I understood it correctly. He was just like, something happened there. Yeah, I'm going to go. Yeah. And he sat down with the adults. And he was very impressed how specific and consistent the descriptions were. Now, here's another big thing. The men were away from the farmhouse all day that next day. And they were not able to coordinate with the other adults. And they were still able to produce a very similar sketch. Hmm. So he arrived, Bud, the morning after, right? So after all this happened, he interviewed just the women and he created the first round of sketches. So they were all kind of sitting together, creating the sketch. And he would even be like, oh, did it have this? Did it have this? And if they said they didn't know, he didn't add it to the sketch. Then when the men returned, and this was kind of at different times too, because most of the men had gone to Indiana for the day. And then Billy Ray went hunting with a neighbor. So Billy Ray came home first. He interviewed Billy Ray. And then he left for a bit and came back when the men were about to come home. And so he talked to the men before they were able to talk to the women about what they had seen. I love that everybody kept their plans for the day. They were like, no need to change. We had plans today. Exactly. And some of the sources say, like, that's how rigid the family was. Like, we have a schedule. We we have a farm life. Like, we, we don't have time mm-hmm. for this. We have to just continue on our day. Also, like, hunting is often for food. Exactly. So they didn't have time for this shit. Because a lot of skeptics Mm-mm. later are going to be like, they did this for publicity and for all this nonsense. But if they did, they, they would sit and revel in it. They wouldn't go about their normal chores, right? Exactly. So the men, very similar sketch. A little different, but very, very similar. So the sketches, luckily, these are all online. They're in Davis's book. They're everywhere. And they're adorable. They are. So he interviewed also the man that Billy had went hunting with, right? And the the man was a neighbor, so he didn't live terribly far away. The man said that him and Billy saw military planes circling over the fields while they were hunting. Unfortunately, there's no way to prove it one way or another, but that's an interesting thing. Yeah. Another very interesting piece is that the man that went hunting told Ludwith that he saw lights moving in the fields near the Sutton home the night before around 7.38 p.m. And he thought, oh, their pigs might have gotten loose again, and they were just trying to round them up. He didn't see it as like something scary or crazy. He's just like, oh, they're probably out there with light yeah. trying to get their pigs. So yeah, the weird part is that is about when the landing happened. Hmm. So interesting. As we mentioned before, this incident was included as part of the United States Air Force's UFO investigation program, the Project Blue Book. Documents suggest that its team never really looked more into the incident beyond checking with the Fort Campbell people who showed up the night of the investigation. From the reports we saw, they brushed it off and they made a lot of weird excuses for what the family might have seen, but they didn't really say like, this is real. Like, it was weird. It was kind of demeaning the way that they talked about the family. I think also when we're talking about UFO experiences or unidentified creature experiences, I think that preference and seriousness is probably given to situations where humans are harmed and here it was like mischief that was occurring right so like they were like you want us to investigate mischief and so i think that's kind of hard but anyway that's true so not surprisingly all this is happening and news spreads pretty fast around about it and so the sutton farmhouse quickly becomes a destination spot and hundreds of people begin showing up at the farm And they're basically just going wherever they wanted. And some people just walked like into their home and started talking to the family. Get fucked. What is wrong with you? Doesn't this remind you of Velisca? It does. When people are just like tromping around. Yes. Yes. 
And they would even take pictures of the family members without asking. Their cars would block the roads. And this continued for days. And Amanda mentioned, like, these were people with, like, lives and work to do. They didn't really have time for this. And they, like, you know, it's like farm life. So, like, get the fuck off the property. Mm-hmm. Exactly. <laughs> you could be damaging equipment. You could be damaging crops. Anyway, but I digress. Right. So at first... They put up no trespassing signs, but nobody followed it. And they really wanted people to stop going on their property. So what they did was they put up a sign on that following Tuesday that said, 50 cents to enter the grounds, $1 for information, $10 for pictures. And one moment, inflation. 50 cents is $5.73. $10 $10 is $114. Oh my gosh. And 57 cents. <laughs> so I fucking love that for them. They're like, you want to take a picture of me? It's going to be like a photo op at a convention. Right. But so according to most sources, they didn't get any money from that, but they actually just really wanted to use it as a deterrent. Neither the sign or it being a deterrent really worked because people just kept doing whatever the fuck they wanted. Because they had made that sign, people were like, you made this all up to make money. But that doesn't really track because they didn't really collect the money. It's not like they were like, now rich from this. Right. And so Billy Ray's descriptions also seem to be extravagant. And he may have been a big reason why lots of people didn't believe that it had happened. Some sources say that he basked in the limelight. He also told Ledwith details one day and then changed them the day after he started speaking again. Then withdrew some of the statements. So he was going back and forth on details. And an example of that is he was going back and forth on details of like how the creatures looked. And that feels like a really like foundational piece of information. Yeah, like the general idea was the same, but he was like adding embellishments. Almost like he was like excited and he wanted to keep talking. So he was like making stuff up is the sense I got. Yeah, I got you. And then when the family looked at it, they're like, it didn't have a neck or you know something silly like that. And he's like, oh, yeah, yeah, you're right. You're right. So like, Mm. I don't know if he was just excited to be like the center of attention, but he kind of made it not so great for the family because then people are like, well, he's lying. Yeah. So unfortunately, all of this really led to a lot of negative talk of the family. There was a lot of negative press and they were believed to be liars. Some of the family members even lost jobs due to it. The family even tried to flee at one point, and they were going to go to Michigan, where one of Glennie's other like adult kids lived. But then mm-hmm. they went back because they were worried that the random visitors were going to like mess up their farm. Yeah, I mean, fair. In addition, a lot of information was being discussed, but it was really hard to know, back then especially, what was correct, what was just like misinterpretation, and what was a flat-out lie. So an example of this is what the neighbors may have heard that night. One investigator told Isabel, so the book that I read, that no neighbors heard anything. But then another investigator said that the neighbors told them that it sounded like a small war that night. Wildly different. Well, and what's interesting about like smaller newspapers reporting things is that there's nobody fact checking in this time period, right? They're just like, this happened. And then it just continues to spread and spread and spread. And people aren't doing fact checks. They're not checking even like basic information. Not that that doesn't happen now, but I, it happened much more then. Right. Right. And so, like, it's kind of sad for this family that's just like they reached out for help because they were scared. And then because, you know, everyone talks to everyone and like the next morning it was on the news and it was on the radio and in the paper, they get flooded with all these people and they never asked for this. And they don't even normally ask for help. So it's like. Right. And I feel like if they really did want all of this, they would have made some different decisions. Right. So. There's a lot of skeptics theories that included that it was just a big hoax, 
It was a publicity play, group hallucinations, which is weird. A pile of metal behind the house that reflected flashlight lights. (laughs) Random loose monkeys from a circus. You know, metallic monkeys. (laughs) Yeah. Religious hysteria and possibly hidden liquor in the home. Another one that I forgot to put in here is they found like a piece of aluminum foil in the yard. And like some of them are like, oh, it was just this. (laughs) It's so dumb. Oh, clearly. This entire thing was just one piece of aluminum foil floating in the wind. So none of this really makes a lot of sense, though. So we'll go through it real quick. If they wanted it for profit and they wanted all the attention, then the men probably wouldn't have been away from the home the following day. They would have been like reveling in it. Or if they expected it, they would have made sure that like they were home to make sure that the animals were okay or that they were collecting the money or, you know, various things. They need more adults. Also, they likely would have had all of this happen earlier in the evening so that there was more search time in the nighttime. If it's scared of light, they would have more search time at night when it was originally happening. Oh, that's a good thought. Yeah, yeah. And that kind of is the same for the hoax. Like, if they wanted this much attention, then they wouldn't have been upset about people running around the property, right? Yeah. Hallucinations is just strange because they would all have to have the same hallucination and something to trigger it. Right? Like, if they all accidentally took something, including the children, right? Weird. It could be ergot poisoning. I mean, it it could, but... They're shared delusions, and, like, it's possible that, like, oh my gosh, like, don't you see that it looks like this? And then other people begin seeing similar things, and, like, in the heat of a moment, you don't realize that you're describing and, like, passing along your hallucination, if you will. But, I mean, I don't think that's true. That's not what I think it is. It, It just seems like a little bit of a stretch in this case. I just wrote off the pile of metal. I thought that was just really dumb. (laughs) like yeah having things like floating the way that they're running having such precise descriptions doesn't make sense for a reflection to me yeah random loose monkeys was laughable yes also they even went as far like when i read that book they went as far to look and see if there's any reports of lost monkeys or if there's any sort of circus traveling through the area that night no and no Also, someone brought up a point when a circus or like something that uses animals loses one of them or a zoo, especially back then, they really wouldn't report it because they wouldn't want people to know. Yeah. Um, But most of the time, the like animals would come back. But again, like that's just such a stretch. And why a monkey like specifically would look like this thing that they're describing? It just doesn't make sense. It could be if they're talking about forward propulsion, like will use their hands to like push forward and such and can like flip when they say it had a tail i mean they probably say hair too oh that true that too maybe not glowing (laughs) and not metal (laughs) yeah there's a lot of things yeah so there was a person who mentioned religious hysteria and they were saying like glennie must have been at some sort of like a religious meetup that night and the strange thing is the information that they had was wrong about Glennie. It like wasn't the right church. And they were saying like there was some sort of like weird picture of like a monkey, but they made it scary looking that was going around that had like, you know, church stuff. I don't know. And they're like that existed. So she must have seen that. And that led to religious hysteria. But like there's no hmm. reason to think that Glennie had that in her possession, nor did she do what they were saying that day. She wasn't at this like religious meeting. Yeah. And then lastly, the investigators never found liquor. There's one report that a trash can may have had a few beer cans in it, but that would not explain everyone having the same hallucination or whatever. And also it wouldn't explain the children seeing it. Yeah. I would also point out that like 
if it was a hallucination, the thing that would strike me about that as strange would be the scenario where it um it stroked his hair because one person would have felt the actual stroke and Eileen pulled him back. So like she had a reaction to it that wasn't his. That's true. See what I'm saying? Like she reacted kind of before he did. And like, I don't know, that just particular instance. I think that's yeah, that's good. And then one more topic of discussion by skeptics was how the holes in the window screen varied throughout the night. And some said those aren't bullet holes, while others were like, when they investigated the first time, the hole didn't match up to what a shotgun would have done. So when they left and they came back the next morning, the holes were different. But also they say that they shot that window again. So like, yeah, it could have definitely changed. So I don't know. I feel like going off of this one window and saying everything's fake because the bullet holes didn't so much match what they thought it should look like doesn't really make a lot of sense because also you'd have to know how far away were the men when they were shooting through it were they up close were they far what angle were they at yeah just so many different things so i don't know how to hold on to that any more than okay it changed throughout the night yeah well another thing to keep in mind is that there were other sightings of things in the sky that night so there were reports in the evansville press and the madisonville messenger about different people saying that they saw things in the sky at differing times throughout the night. So Isabel Davis, who we mentioned earlier, didn't believe that this whole thing was made up. And she didn't think that, you know, the Sutton family and their friends had done this because they wanted to be in the spotlight. And that was especially after speaking with Glennie. And she described Glennie as somber, no nonsense, and that she abhorred the limelight and had no reason to lie, which everything we've talked about, like, really does paint her in this way that she's like, I don't have time for this. Like, this is not what I want to be dealing with. And some of Lucky's siblings didn't even believe that this had happened because they were like, this is insane, right? And then they hear Glennie talk about it and they're like, okay, now I believe you because the way that she described it was so different and less chaotic from them. Well, also, their mother would never lie. They're like, you guys can be silly, but mom would never lie. So if mom saw it, that happened. Yeah, yeah, no, for sure, for sure. And so even the chief of police said she's the type of person who wouldn't tell a lie if her life depended on it. And I think, again, that changes how everybody saw it initially, because they're like, if Glennie is worried, then we are worried. She doesn't have time for foolishness. And also, like, knowing this about her, can't you picture, like, Glennie in whatever way you picture her crouching down in this hallway, leaning into Billy Ray and say, okay, tell me what's going on. And no nonsense. It goes, "Mm -hmm, mm mm-hmm, 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 mm-hmm. And then the creature comes up to the screen. She gets startled and, like, shrieks and falls over. And I can just imagine being like, God fucking. Like, maybe not God fucking damn it, but she's like, ugh. She's getting up, and she's just not even stressed. She's just annoyed that she fell. You know, like, yeah. like I can picture the scene a little bit more thoroughly now, but I digress. So none of the other witnesses had, like, a record of making these kind of, like, quote-unquote preposterous allegations. And Isabel even mentions many times in her report that the family was reluctant to speak with the media because of all of this negative feedback they had gotten. Yeah. And because we've talked about it a lot, I do want to focus a little bit on Isabel's report because I read it. It's it's really good. It's very thorough. And she tried her best to get all of the details straight. So when she visited, even though it was a, a little while after the incident, she spoke with a number of people, including Glennie. And Glennie was really reluctant to even speak with Isabel, but ended up doing the interview. And what I thought was really good, too, that like kind of helps with Glennie's character is that 
when she was talking, she would only comment on things that she personally saw. And she refused to answer any questions if it wasn't something that she personally witnessed. So like she was not going to talk about something else that someone else saw if she wasn't there. So I thought that that was really good that, you know, even though Isabel tried to ask some of the questions, she's like, I didn't view that. I can't answer it. That does make her more credible to me, too. Mm -hmm. So also she spoke with Alina a little bit. And then a woman we haven't heard of yet. Her name's Juanita McCord. And Juanita was the current occupant of the farmhouse when Isabel came to visit. So a little while after. Her husband is the nephew of Glennie. And she had a few details that weren't available in other sources or like in the papers or anything that she shared with Isabel. And at the time of the event, so like when the creatures were spotted, she lived only about three miles away from the farmhouse. So like she was fairly close. And then also for Isabel's report, she spoke with Russell Greenwell, which was the chief of police that we talked about where they called him in that night. Mm -hmm. And of course, he was one of the investigators. But something interesting about him is that he also has seen a UFO in the past, and it was in 1952. So when he investigated that night, he didn't investigate as like a skeptic. He had more empathy for the family because he's like, I don't think you're making this up. Yeah. And so I liked that he like didn't make fun of them like a lot of the others. Yeah. She also spoke with several people in the police and sheriff's offices. Bud Ludwith, who helped a tremendous amount with writing her report. And the photographer from the Kentucky New Era and a few other reporters. So a few times when I said like, oh, and a reporter said this, that's how she got it. Later in 1959, she also got details obtained by Albert Andre, who interviewed Glennie and sent a report to the National Investigations Committee on Aerial Phenomena, which is also the NICAP. And she also included those details in her book. So I think that she was able to like paint a really good picture and like interview both people that believed them and people that were like a little skeptical. And like I said, all those theories have just been going around for years and years and years. Like, why would they do this? And what could it have actually been? So it continued. In 2006, Joe Nickel, a senior research fellow of the International Committee for Skeptical Inquiry and Paranormal Investigator, revisited the incident to try to make sense of what had happened. And he reviewed the evidence and wrote an article about his findings. In it, he detailed how Billy Ray's UFO sighting matched similar reports from that day, which he suggested was probably just a small meteor in the area. Now, this this I thought was funny. As for the creatures or little men, he used a very common explanation and said that it was just owls. They always think it's owls. <laughs> yes. So specifically the great horned owl, because it has long wings and sometimes like people can mistake them for arms. They also have talons. They have yellow eyes. They have long ears. They have a rounded head. And so like a lot of that does match a little bit of what was described. He also went into like their shine and he said that it could have been the owls reflecting the moonlight. And that they're really, really active at dusk and can be aggressive when they're defending their nests. But also, like, the little creatures didn't seem aggressive. They just looked curious to me. Yeah, that's what it seemed like to me. And, like, their nest wasn't there because they would have seen it earlier. Right. And so like, some are like, that's not out of the question. But for me, I feel like there's too many questions that, like, don't make sense with owls. No. So another big thing, right? He shot one of them point blank. If it was an owl... It for sure would have died. There would have been blood. There would have been leftover feathers or something. And nothing was there. Well, also, like, I don't think an owl has the limbs 
to be able to pet someone. I mean, the talons, but they also wouldn't do that. <laughs> Their feet aren't that long, though. It'll be able, when you look at like the picture of the house and like where that overhang is and how long it is, like that's an arm's worth. So it would have had to have been a wing. And like that doesn't make any sense. No. I think for me, though, even like body differences, point blank shots, all of it, the biggest thing to me that discounts an owl is the behavior of them. Because that's not how owls behave. No. And that's not how just general birds behave. Like, if you shoot at a bird, they fly away if they can, right? Like, <laughs> they don't, they aren't like, let's hang out. Right, right. And they also don't put their arms up. <laughs> no beef. No beef. So, as we mentioned earlier, many people believe that this incident is where the thought of little green men have come from, even though no one said that they were green or men. <laughs> As the story spread in the world, there are many different accounts of creatures around Kentucky that people started hearing about even more. And this includes a report of a flying saucer and a six foot tall man in green. So people wonder if the two stories were kind of pushed together because there was flying saucers involved. So they were like, that one's green. This one's little, little green men. Mm -hmm. So in addition to Kentucky, there have been reports of strange objects landing and producing a variety of occupants in the 1940s and 50s. These included some of them being green or wearing green. And so not all of these were small and the descriptions varied quite a bit. Some of them appeared to be incredibly happy. And we'll talk about one of those in a future episode. And then some reports that were from other countries, they varied too. But some of the details were lost in translation as well, because how you would describe things in your, your you know, your native dialect might not translate, you know? Right. Or the correctly, like something might be lost. Yeah. And so the most common names for this creature is Hopkinsville goblins or the little green men of Hopkinsville way too long but they don't really make sense because they weren't spotted in hopkinsville it happened in kelly and that was like seven miles north and the police station was in hopkinsville it's interesting that hopkinsville got the name i wonder if that's because like that's where most people were you yeah, know who probably, heard about it probably but it's funny that like it doesn't even make sense if the idea of little green men came from this green isn't part of it and then yeah if a lot of the common names don't even involve kelly it's just it's funny it's funny how stories change yeah, well, if it's also county police, then Kelly could be in Hopkinsville. So it could be like the larger area. And normally you you would think, though, that like it's the specific area. Because like when you think of Mothman, you think of Point Pleasant, which is a very tiny particular area, not just like insert county of West Virginia. Right, right. So we love this. You know, we love a cryptid celebration. So the town now leads into the encounter. And starting in 2010, on the anniversary, Kelly started holding a Little Green Men Day Festival. Geraldine Sutton Stith, Lucky's daughter, found out about her family's story about 20 years after it had happened and started asking questions. And the remaining family members didn't want to talk about it, but her dad told her what happened about it. She has made it her mission to set the record straight. And she speaks at the festival each year, which I find it kind of like lovely that she's like, no, you'll believe my family. Yeah. Yeah, it's because nice. it feels like it would be painful to have like your family's legacy be like liars. Right. When yeah, exactly. they're just like, we just wanted help because we didn't know what to do because who knows what to do in this situation. Right. And unfortunately, it looks like the festival hasn't happened in a few years because of COVID and that it's unlikely to return, according to the Kelly Community Facebook page. But fingers crossed that that changes in the future. Right. I saw people asking about it and they're like, mm, as of right now, it doesn't look like it's going to happen, but seemed like it was popular. Yeah. Festivals are like a big thing to do. So I could see if like it's just a bit much at the moment, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
So do you think the family indeed saw what they described that night? Do you think they were making it up? Do you think that they saw something different? I think that what they saw was some version of Faye. Oh. Because they sound interdimensional to me. Interesting. Right? Think of that that spot where they could see it only at a certain angle. Angle. Yeah. And only at a certain perspective and it kind of shimmered. It all seems very like Faye description when you're talking about like ethereal kind of things. And like the UFO suggests that there was some type of creature that came from that. But outside of that, the interactions of the creatures themselves, to me, sounds like whimsical and like mischief. And I feel like most of the time when you're hearing UFO accounts, it's not that they're there to be silly. You know, like they're not there to just be like goofy little creatures who are kind of like very curious about what's going on. They're like evolved fancy beings that are there to do a thing. Yeah, agreed. And this doesn't seem like your standard UFO kind of mannerisms, if you will, which makes me lean towards Faye. Yeah. Because they can be a few feet tall, even like they're not all just tiny. That's fair. I mean, I didn't even think about that, but that's fair. I I do believe that they saw something. Mm -hmm. And the thing that caught my attention is just how everyone described Glennie. And like even after, well, first when reading it and she was like the voice of reason, but then also seeing all of the encounters with Glennie and how she's like, no nonsense. I don't care. This is what I saw. Take it or leave it. I feel like she saw something, right? And I thought it was most interesting that most of the drawings that were, except for Billy's, like has changed a little, but they're very, very similar. At least like what the basic thought of the creature looked like, I guess. So I think there was something. I don't know what it was. It could have come from the UFO. It could have just been like a weird animal that we don't know about yet, right? Always. It could always be a weird animal that we don't know about. But like, because some of the people were from a traveling carnival, that makes me think of like the olden time, like traveling circuses, which are kind of, they're kind of similar in nature, right? And so if they were looking to make money off of this experience and thing, they would have involved it in that likely, right? They wouldn't have had it in their home. Yes, And I think that, like, the idea that it's in this place where, like, they sleep and eat and are, like, living their lives, that makes it more credible to me. On top of Glennie, grade A witness. She's the witness we all want all the time. But on top of that, just, like, the proximity to, like, their life and what they would have to deal with. Like, if you were a person who wanted to make money off of this, the first thing you would have done before any of this was you you would have built a very tall fence so that people could only get in in one way. (laughs) Like, you would have made it so that it was, like, easy to make money off of or you would have like been like this is the area that we saw them and that part would be fenced off like there would be like a better way of making money than a sign that they put up and they would have actually made money right right and they i mean they ran a farm yeah so they could have like built something easily i would think but yeah their jobs too like the the friends and lucky working at that traveling carnival also was like held against them yeah i figured it would be and they're like, well, they work for a carnival, so they're just making it up. But like, again, they like you said, they didn't associate it with the carnival. Yeah. So I don't know. It's interesting. And I it did keep like it caught my attention a lot because I was going through cryptids and I was like, I haven't heard of these guys. Oh, my gosh. This is a big thing that happened to this poor family. Yeah. Well, and also just going back to the carnival component of it. Uh-huh. When people talk about people in that time period that were traveling with carnivals, the words that's often used to describe them is transient. Yes. And like you see the word transient and you can automatically assume that people are going to give that person less credibility when they're talking, especially during that time period. So like if you were going to 
fake this whole thing, you probably wouldn't have it happen when you had people who were in a traveling carnival with you. Yeah. No, I I, I see what you mean. And also, like, the townspeople were a little less kind to them because they were the farmers. Their level of education wasn't the same as theirs. And, like, their daily life was much different. So they they didn't really take them seriously. And that was I just felt really sad for them because that's not fair. No, it's not. It's not at all. But anyways, I looked around. There have been other similar creatures, but they weren't like described as these ones were. No. Like with these specific characteristics. Yeah. I feel like there's nothing even close to this type of creature that I've seen that presents in a similar way. Right. There's like old timey stories about goblins. (laughs) Yeah. But like that doesn't feel like this. Right. And I feel like most of those aren't in America. Yeah. Well, of course, we want to know what you think, too. Have you heard about these before? Do you think that the family saw these creatures or were they making it up? We want to know. Always. We always want to know. Have you heard of other goblins? Think they're fairies. Are they fairies? Are they UFOs? Are UFOs fairies? Hmm. (laughs) Big, big questions today. (laughs) Interdimensional. And with that, have a good weekend. Thanks for creeping with us. Thanks for listening. And as always, a special thank you to our patrons who support us via Patreon. Please see the link in our show notes to learn more about how you, yes, you, can begin to haunt the dump, guard vortexes, or even become a scorching Sasquatch. Also in our show notes, you can find the link to our website, more information on our sources, our social media handles, and our merch store. We'd love for you to keep creeping with us. So if you like this episode, please subscribe, rate, review, and share the show with your fellow creeps and or ghosts. I beg of you. (laughs) Enough. I don't know if on your feed for Christmas, I kept getting um, an ad for World's Okayest Brother. No, definitely not getting that. Like as a gift. And I'm like, (laughs) World's Okayest Podcaster. Amazing. Our podiversary next year. I'm going to get that for you. World's okay as podcaster. Perfect. Perfect. And put in your mailbox. Oh, no. Yes. Did Lindsay receive something in her mailbox recently that she blamed on me? Yes. By recently, we mean like months and months ago. And then I just had a lot of life. Found out about it recently. Yeah. Amanda recently learned of it. But like, and I had a lot of grief in 2023. So didn't like a lot of things were just registering. And I was like, oh, yeah. Did you send me like a like an envelope full of pictures? And she was like, no, no, I didn't. And I was like, oh, cool. Cool. cool, cool. I blamed you for months in my head. And then I went and got it. And I was like, oh, I forgot on my way back. I was like, on my way back down here, like, I was very convinced it was Amanda. Like, because I originally I was like, fact, fact, fact. And then I was like, it's Amanda. And then my brain just clicked it off. But whoever did it is either in the house or is assisted by a person in this house. So he'll never know because he doesn't listen. He's already inside the home. I think I'm going to take my second Adderall while you start. (laughs) It's prescribed. Are you going to explain how this room is laid out? I think you should, because you're great at this. You know that's where I was headed. You know that's where we were going. Okay. Are you ready for me to describe this house to you? I am so ready. Okay. We're talking about a rancher-style house, so it's one floor. We're going to picture a rectangle. On the far right side of this rectangle, there's a bedroom, okay? And that is like one-third of the rectangle, okay? And that has two beds and like a stove for heat plus a table. And then there's like a very thick, long hallway because it's like 
five feet wide, which feels like wide, given that the entire downstairs is like, mm, let's do math. Well, there's no 10 upstairs. plus 20, 30. Well, this entire floor is like less than 40 feet across. So five feet seems just like a lot to give up for a hallway. But I digress. Like, just like just have rooms next to each other. Anyway. Anyway, that's neither here nor there. But so, okay. Bedroom on the right. Thick-ass hallway. That's also the front door leads to. And then it opens on the left to a living room that's like mm, three-fifths of the downstairs. There's no upstairs. What's downstairs? God damn it. There's And then, okay, then there's like the next room to the left of the thick-ass hallway that's called the living room. But we're going to, I'm putting that in quotes because it's not a living room. Um, And I would say that's like three-fifths. If you go back and check my fractions, fuck you. But anyway, it's... <laughs> I'm eyeballing it here. So, okay, in the living room, there are two beds, a couch, and then a fireplace. So, like... And a window. Very important. And a window. Yeah, I mean, the window, very important. Very true. Very true. And then there's a kitchen that are, like, if you go to the top left of the living room and you go down little steps, then you're in the kitchen. Yes. And that's, like pretty wide it's like 16 feet wide and 10 feet long and in there there's like a refrigerator a stove a sink so if you're thinking of this house think very basic a man is going to like get into that more in a bit but it's basically like a three-room house exactly you'll notice that there are some rooms that you're typically here about that aren't on them but it's you know what four beds and a couch and one table pretty much yeah it's very very tiny i love <laughs> Lindsay's scale for feet because it just has a little scale at the bottom and so i i love how i think you got 16 feet for one of them <laughs> wait what where's that no it says amanda look at the rooms it oh. says 13.5 it it has the measurements on it i like that you thought i was doing that math on the fucking fly i appreciate it <laughs> I was like you thought i was like taking my little fingers and like inching along this drawing i I love that. You were like, she's fucking fast at finger inches. That sounded wrong. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, second episodes of the day. They're always special. But no, Amanda, um, I can look at a picture. (laughs) Have I looked at this like 50 times, like as I was reading this book, too, and like flip back to see things? Yes. Did I see that it had the measurements? I, I didn't. They kind of just like when you're looking at a, like a, a blueprint, though, we're using the term blueprint very loosely. When you're looking at a floor plan, there we go. When you're looking at a floor plan, like I feel like the measurements of the room be kind of come become be, blah, 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 become white noise. You know, that's fair. That's fair. Thanks for looking out for me. I'm sorry. I have something else to say. Do you think it was suspiciously wooden? Oh, absolutely. It was. Oh, my gosh. You, I sent you a picture earlier in the week of the front of the house with the guys and their gun. Look at it. I will, but I'm just going to very quickly say what the pictures are that we're looking at. Welcome to place. Welcome to place. Uh, this diagram, fat kangaroo, uh, me asking a, a new review, descriptions of this creature, a gift you received, your dog's ears standing up, a child. I've I've passed it. I've passed yeah. it. Yeah, you've gone too far. I'm, I've gone too far. Oh, it's suspiciously wooden suspiciously wood like this is actually the original like the other one was suspiciously wooden's like great-grandchild this is 
the original. This is what that closet was based off of. Yeah. <laughs> Inspired by. Where any of this will be in the episode, who could know? Can you hear me now? Yes. What's great is that's recorded <laughs> at the end. All right. There's our ending. Only beef. <laughs>